The disciples asked the Lord who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think they gave him an answer that they expected. <laughs> Took up a kid and sat him on his lap and said, he said, unless you become like a little child, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. And he was trying to point him towards the new birth. Everybody say new birth. Because unless you humble yourself and become like a child. See, children have this amazing ability. They're not like, you know, adults. I don't know, there's all kinds of studies that show this. You can go look them up, but you always hear. There's an age range between three and seven where they're just so moldable and so teachable, right? There's another age, age range I've heard mentioned, you know, between... Between 18, between 18 and 25, where you've got enough insight into things to know something, but you're dumb enough to challenge authority, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it, ironically, it's those people, those 18 to 25-year-olds in, in many fields make the, the greatest breakthroughs because they, they're not stuck in the same trap as everybody else. Why is that? It's because they haven't been set in their thinking. There's still, a, there's still a moldable period. Well, Jesus says, unless you become like children, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. And part of that, there's several different, you could go into whole teaching. You can go into humility. You can go into forgiveness. Let's, yeah, okay, we're just gonna take a tiny little rabbit trail down that, okay? That's not the message, all right? My little kids, I love my kids. They can be fighting it out one minute, and the next minute, everything's fine. Why is that? Because they forgive quickly. Everybody say quickly. See, there's something about the heart of God in people. And this is, this is where you have to fight your flesh because you know, and, this is, and I'm just speaking from experience. I also know what the word says. The devil can control you in two different ways with, uh, forg with offense. One is the offender and the other is the offendee. And you have to be free of both of that both of those things. If you can offend, then the devil can use you. And if you can be offendable, the devil can use you. No matter who it is. And see, there's an aspect of our transformation. He has called us to be like children, quick to forgive, quick to forget. Doesn't mean you, whatever. If somebody did something to you, doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean you necessarily even have to trust them. But I know that feeling every time I see somebody that I feel like hurt me and I'm in the mall <laughs> or I'm in Walmart and there's this little bit of justification rises up and says, mm, I'm not going to talk to them. <laughs> I'll, I'll pretend like I don't see them. You know, I won't be me, but I'll pretend. And the Holy Ghost will zero in on that and says, how am I supposed to love that person if you're going to act like that? Well, I've forgiven them. That's fine, but you're not walking it out. <laughs> you said, I forgive them, but see, part of saying something is meaning it. <laughs> walking it out, right? And see, what I love about Jesus, you won't, say, you won't find a single thing that Jesus said that he did not exemplify in his life, that he did not live. <clears throat> God isn't demanding this of us all at once, but there is a growth process that, does over time begin to demand that hypocrisy in your life leaves, right? And in over time, as you continue to get revelation and understanding of the truth of the word of God, he begins to expose the word in your life and show it, it's like the mirror, right? How many of you, everybody probably, before you, subconscious, you get, you come, before you come to church, you look in the mirror and you, you check yourself, right? <laughs> Oh, maybe some guys didn't look in the mirror, okay? <laughs> but, but I look in the mirror to make sure that everything's right, okay? A mirror is for correction. Everybody say correction. See, when I look in a mirror, if I got hair sticking up, I need to correct that. If I look in the mirror and I see I've got, you know, like a milk mustache on my face, I don't want to come to church like that, right? I mean, there, it's there for correction. And the word of God is meant to be the mirror for correction. It is meant to be the standard. So when we look at the word of God and specifically, everything is pointing to Christ. So when you look at Christ 
and you can, you know, it's become cliche, but it's still powerful. The question, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do is like looking in the mirror and saying, well, I wouldn't see Jesus doing that probably, all right? Or I don't see that in the word, or I don't see that in, in what I'm supposed to be living like. It's, I don't see Jesus gossiping. I don't see Jesus being weak in his flesh. Hey, this is one of the things. Now, this is just to say, this is what he started to hold me to in some of these things. I would declare a fast, and, and I'd tell my flesh, we're going to fast three days, all right? And about noon that first day, I start to let my flesh have my mouth. And I'll let the flesh say, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> maybe, and if you start to justify, maybe I can do it next week and we'll do one day tomorrow. And we'll do, you know, you know what you do. And I start talking, and I'll talk to Nat about it. Hey, Nat, what you think about doing this? <laughs> and she just knows to ignore me by now because every time you go on a, fa on a fast, the flesh tries to grab hold of your mouth. And the Holy Ghost would say, he says, now do you think Jesus, every time he went on a fast, do you think he let his flesh run his mouth around? If he said, I'm going to fast, I think he followed through with it. Now, I have failed a thousand, uh, not a thousand, I, I don't know. I'm just being, you get, it's hyperbole. I'm, I've failed a lot at fasting, okay? But the end goal is to be able to, to tell your flesh who's boss. Am I right? That's the change we're looking for. If we're not growing out of something and into something else, then we're not changing, we're not transforming, we're not becoming who he's called us to be. We're called to be transformed, amen? Oh, <laughs> we're called to be transformed, amen? amen? All right. All right. We can be going to uh, <laughs> Luke 18. The Word of God is meant to be the mirror that we get to look at ourselves and see what needs changing. And it's not our own willpower necessarily, but our willpower is part of that formula. Okay? It is the strength that, the, that God has given us through the new nature. And when you got born again, you received a life on the inside of you that didn't come from Adam, didn't come from your parents. It's not genetic, it's not natural, it's not physical, it can't be traced. It is from God. Your father, that is why he is the father of your spirit. And you have a nature on the inside of you. The moment you bowed the knee, humbled yourself, and like a child says, I need this solution. I need the life of Christ in my heart. He put, it says we were made to be, everybody say made. Made, made to be the righteousness of God. See, you were created a new creature. The picture in the New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. When God breathed life into man, he became a living soul. When he breathed life, he was created in God's image. And when you received Christ, you were created in the image of Christ. It was a, it was a, it was a new creation that happened on the inside of your heart. And we are called to be transformed to the reality of that new creation in our walk, in our talk, in our believing, and in how we see things. The challenge is we think we know who we are and we don't. The challenge is you've had X amount of years being the old man, X amount of years living under the world system, X amount of years being taught what is and is not possible, and it does not apply to you. Because you have been born again. And Jesus said all things. Everybody say all things. All things are possible to him who believes. What is the qualification? It's believing. You young people. It has nothing to do with your age. It's him who believes. It's Well, I'm not in ministry. It's him who believes. Well, I've never spoken in front of a crowd. It is him who believes. It's not who you know. It's not your age. It's not precedent. You think you know who you are and what the Holy Spirit is here to help you do is to discover who you've been made to be in Christ Jesus. 
And we are called to take steps of transformation. As we look in the mirror, the mirror is Christ and we are changed into that same image. Going from faith to faith, from glory to glory, believing to believing. And he will take hypocrisy. He will take the old beliefs out. He will remove those things. Um, I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you were here last week? All right. So I want to, I think we're going to, Lord willing, I believe we're going to camp on this for a couple of weeks. Because there is a reality. And I think you're going to hear that word a lot. Everybody say reality. There is a reality that he's wanting to, he's wanting to baptize you into. He's wanting to baptize each and every one of us into reality of what he has made us, what he says is possible, and what he's called us to do. Okay? And I started, I think one of the things I shared last week was um, when I was very early on following the Lord. Um, I was in college, and um, I spent time in prayer some before work. Um, I, I did the things I was supposed to do. And uh, at one point in the evening, I got a really severe headache. And I, I tried to do all the right things. I tried to pray it away. I tried to call it to go. You know, I'd say, I command you to go in Jesus' name. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yeah, there is. There is. See, there's, there's also, it's faith in the heart and confession with the mouth. See, and you can know what to say, but not be fully persuaded, convinced, have a reality in your heart of what's true. And I had this, it was probably the worst headache I've ever had. I don't remember having a worse one. And I turned to God and I said, why is it I cannot believe for something as simple as this headache to go? I see your word says, by your stripes I'm healed. Everybody, everybody else know that verse? I see, you know, Jesus, you want to know the will of the Father regarding healing. You want to be fully convinced? See, we got too much teaching. That's why we're not. That's why we're not. Because you won't find it in the Word of God, everything that they preach about healing. God wants you healed. If you need proof of that, didn't Jesus say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? Right? Well, you say, well, I already know this. I, I know it too, but I'm not walking in it. So that's why we're talking about that. <laughs> no sense in going anywhere else if we're not walking. It. Well, it's, it's not just supposed to be theory. It's supposed to take root and grow and produce the fruit. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. See, if you need proof that God wants you healed, how many of you believe that Jesus 100% of the time exemplified the will of the Father on earth? Anybody got any problem with that? Now, what's, if, if he said, I always do the works of my father, what does that tell you about what was being done before? <laughs> it was saying, he's saying, look, this is what God wants to do in the earth. Had it been, ever been done? <laughs> no. See, so look at Jesus. Every time somebody came to receive something, through him, did they get it? Yes, they did. When the multitudes, everybody say multitudes. We, we don't see it like that happen. We, now, we see sporadic healings, and I pray God, I praise God for that. All right, I'm getting too fast. My heart's going faster in my mouth. I can slow down. I praise God for that. But when you've got, in one case, well, when you have multitudes on multitudes, tens of thousands of people following you, and he's praying for people all the time, and it says all of them, all of them got healed. With that, it was like clockwork. You will never find once recorded in Scripture, once where somebody came to Jesus, and Jesus said it's not God's timing yet. You will never once, when you see it, Jesus, now if he would have said that, I'd preach it, but he didn't. There was never one time where they came to Jesus and said, I need healing for this. And Jesus says, oh, this one is needing it for correction. Did he ever say that or say anything like that or set any kind of precedent to say, God's working on you with this? How many of you have heard, this is a cross that God's called me to bear? 
I don't see it in the word. And I don't see Jesus ever put, oh, he said pick up your cross, but he never gave anybody sickness. <laughs> you ever imagine somebody going up to get prayer for Je from Jesus and all of a sudden they leave with sickness? <laughs> oh, I didn't know I was going to get that. No, the people believe God does that though. God gave me this. And then they go fight it with the doctors though. Figure that out. If you believe it's from God, then why do you try and get better? Just receive it. It's a gift. Because it's not from God. It's not. God didn't design you to die, and God didn't design you to be sick, and God didn't design any kind of pain like that. You don't see it in the garden. You don't see it in Jesus. You don't see it. The only reason you see it is because of sin and the choice. And see, we believe it, but we don't. We, we know it, but we don't. It, it hasn't become reality. Everybody say reality. And this is what the Holy Ghost told me that day when I was sitting there, writhing in pain in my head, and I just, I got frustrated. Anybody ever get in pain and get frustrated and get angry? <laughs> Snap. <laughs> How come I can't believe or something so simple? You know, simple to me, not, you know, it, it seems simple. But God, headache and whatever, it's all the same. Do you know that? It's all the same to him. We make it like, oh, we're going to graduate up to raising the dead. What's it to God? It's faith. The same faith is the same faith. It's God, ain't it? <laughs> Praise God. Well, we think we have to graduate, so we do. Today I'm going to believe God for $100. Next week I'm going to believe him for 1000 It's God, ain't it? And we do this. I've heard this said before. Well, I can believe God for finances, but I can't believe him for healing. I can believe God for healing, but I can't believe him for finances. Let one be a testimony to the other. It's God you have faith in, not in the provision he's bringing, not in the result, not in the fruit. It's the same God. If God brings you provision supernaturally, take it as evidence he wants you well. Amen? So why we segment up God like that, like, okay, well, I've got faith for this, but I don't got faith for that. I understand that, but also understand that God isn't divided like that. He is a person, first and foremost. And if you trust the person, you're going to trust whatever it is he says he'll do. So you don't have to, I, I used to have this concept in my mind, well, I've got to have faith for finances. I've got to grow my faith for that. I've got to grow my faith for healing. I've got to grow my faith for devils. I've never even faced devils. I've got to grow my faith for devils. You know, I've got to grow my faith in this and that and this. Oh, man, I'm so, <laughs> I'm going to be worn out by the end of all that. Anybody else had that thought? I don't have faith for this. The faith is rooted in who he is. And if you have any kind of testimony of God's provision, you can have testimony of God's healing. You can, it's a testimony of who he is to you in your heart. Amen? Let those things, let them all mix together because it's about who he is. Why would God provide for you and fill your belly with food and then bring you sickness? Only religion would make somebody believe something like that. It's ridiculous. See, you know, <clears throat> the Holy Ghost is wanting to baptize who we are into the reality of who he is. That is what he wants to do. Because we are still learning who we are and we're still learning what's possible. But when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost and in fire, it's going to burn up everything that isn't of God and all that's going to be left is something he gave you. All that's going to be left is who he made you to be and what is truth. Because fire is going to test what's real and what's not what's chaff, and what's eternal. And when the Holy Ghost comes, and see the challenge is, you can wait until judgment day, you can wait until heaven to have God touch you and burn up the chaff. The, the, the real goal is that he touches you here and burns up the chaff so that you can live like it's heaven now. So that you can live like everything's possible now. What do you need to live like everything's possible on the inside of things? That's not gonna get anybody saved. We need to live like everything's possible here. Because you look at Jesus, he saw things differently. That was what was so amazing about him, is you could come up and touch him. He was a real man, he'd sweat, he had to eat. But he walked around with a reality on the inside of here and on the inside of here that was completely different than everybody else around him. And they would laugh at him they would, until, you know, they says, oh, she's dead now. Don't, don't bother him. He says, only believe she'll be well. And she, he gets to the house and says, oh, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. 
Now, where did he get that? <laughs> Didn't come from out there. Nobody else was on the same page. Something was on in here. Amen. There was a reality he walked in about what was possible. It was inside. And he wants to put that reality on the inside of you so that you can walk and see things different. I'm looking forward to the day and we are quickly approaching the day. I believe it. I believe it. Where we're not going to have those walls. They're not walls to God, but they're walls in our thinking that says that's not possible and so we don't step through it. <clears throat> I haven't even gotten to the punchline yet. <laughs> the longest testimony I've ever had <laughs> 20 minutes. The Holy Ghost told me about that headache. He says, and I, I was so frustrated. I said, how come I can't even believe God for a headache to be healed? He says, you still believe the reality of that pain more than you believe the reality of my word. That is word for word what he said to me. And I have no doubts in my mind. There are times when I have doubted what I've heard and I didn't hear correctly. I'll admit to those. Those are real things. All right. I have no doubts about what I heard that day. I heard it clear. He said, the reality that your, of your pain is greater in your heart than the reality that I healed you. And we, t we went through this last week. You remember, okay, we're going to do that. Go to, uh, uh, <laughs> you're the only one I didn't write down. Uh, we're going to go to the place where Peter walked on water, okay? So... Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Everybody, everybody uh, awake on me? All right. Matthew 14. We'll start in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. Now, I just want to add this again because there were times Jesus took boats, all right? He didn't just go trotting because he could. It was because the Lord led him or the Holy Ghost led him to do that, all right? When he brought a word, he obeyed it. He said, you could speak to this mountain and make it move and all things are possible to you. But you don't ever see Jesus move a mountain. But if God had a mountain in his way between you and getting done what he wanted done, he'd move the mountain for you. Amen? All right. <clears throat> it was the fourth watch of the night. Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is, it is a spirit. And they cried out of fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. <clears throat> now, before we read this any further, I'm just going to go through this exercise again. Because it's not about just hearing it. It's about in here. Amen. This is so important that this, this gets sunk in. How, how important. Everybody say important. How important you are. How important I am in the process of getting this accomplished. We don't think we are. We think, well, if God wants it done. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Everybody say, I, I am important, important in manifesting, manifesting God's will. God's will. You, you won't find a different example in Scripture. You won't. Even in the Old Testament, before the Holy Ghost and before you were born again, he worked with man albeit on the, the outside in directions coming into the mind, but it was, now we're in the heart, it still was cooperation with the will and the authority of man. Now in heaven, it's not gonna be that way. But here on earth, he says, let them have dominion, amen? Now look at this. And when the, okay, but straight away, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come, on, come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, this is a word from the Messiah, the, from the Lord. This is, this is a word from God. In other words, Jesus has authority to say, come. 
Is this a word from God? Yes, it is. Was the Holy Spirit present to manifest what was spoken? Yes, he was. So you have God the Father who is in charge, giving authority to the Son who speaks, come, and the Holy Ghost is there waiting upon the spoken word to perform it. You have all three members of the Godhead behind this plan. And when Peter was come down out of the water, he walked, or come out of, I'm sorry, I'm here. I'm, I, I did not get enough sleep, but I'm here. All right, the Spirit's here. <laughs> Spirit is willing, flesh is weak, right? All right. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now look at this, verse 30. But when he saw, everybody say saw. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto thee, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? What's the problem here? It's unbelief. It's doubt. So you got all three members of the Godhead trying to get this done. And Peter, he was looking at Jesus for a bit, but when he saw the other evidence, when he saw the other evidence come into his soul, what was on the inside of his soul, what was on the inside of his heart, judged the winds and the waves and everything he saw as a greater power, let me put it a different way, a greater reality than the word that Jesus gave, come. Everybody with me? And that's why Jesus says, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt? He said the same thing to the disciples when he was trying to pray for the lunatic boy. Everybody remember that? And he was trying to pray for that lunatic boy, cast the devil out of him. And they, later on, when, because they couldn't get it done, they came to Jesus and says, why could we not cast it out? He says, it's because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Now, an interesting part. Do you remember that boy? What was so unique about that devil? When they tried to cast him out, it says it, he, that spirit would throw him in the fire, throw him in the water. He would be foaming at the mouth. I imagine he was writhing all over the floor being flung around. Everybody say saw. <laughs> say, you see that. And you, everybody, everybody ever see that? You're going to take a couple steps back. <laughs> Whoa, this is, not, this is not normal human behavior. All right? You kind of, I don't know about God now. Because there's something in your heart that's judging what you see. And it says this is not possible. And it stops. And we make all of these fancy doctrines in the church about how God doesn't heal anymore. It's baloney. He never said that. All that's been lost is the reality of the scripture that what he said is possible. We, st we are a church that believes what we see and so we preach what we see. We preach God doesn't always heal because we don't always see he heals. Well, that's not going to be faith when Jesus comes back. He's not going to call that faith. Faith is believing what is unseen. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, now let's go to, let's go to Luke chapter 18. And this is a parable that Jesus gave. A parable is a natural picture to illustrate, illustrate a spiritual principle. All right? So this picture has a flip side, a spiritual application. All right? It's not about a natural situation. This is not a, a one-for-one one what happened. This is a picture. Everybody say picture. This is a picture of what, hap what is a spiritual principle. Okay? That's what a parable is. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. All right, this is what the parable is about, that men ought always to pray and not faint. All right, so that men ought always to pray and not faint, not stumble, not stagger. Really what it's talking about in this context uh, is not having a heart of unbelief, but a heart of prayer. That's what it's about. 
that men are always to pray but not faint. What does fainting look like? You stop following the word of the Lord and you start to follow your own way. That's what fainting looks like to the Father. All right? <clears throat> that men always or ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Verse 7, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, look at the subject here, shall he find what in the earth? Faith. faith. Everybody say faith. See, the subject of this parable is about faith. He spake this parable to this end, that men ought always to pray, not to faint. Faint in what? Unbelief, not faith. All right? So the bookends of this parable is about faith, it's about prayer, and it's not stumbling in unbelief. So what is this parable about? Now, there is a mindset in the church, and I'm, it's just flat wrong. The mindset in the church and a lot of people will, will do this. They'll operate this way. They believe that because of quantity of prayers prayed, God is more likely to answer. That is the idea. The more prayers that are prayed, the more people we can get on board praying. Now, I'm not against prayer chains. I am not against asking for prayer. Don't misunderstand me. But I am against the mentality that quantity of prayer is somehow twisting God's arm for him to hear you more. If you believe that it takes, it takes so many people praying for you before God finally, and this is the picture that is painted of God. They believe this parable is about God. The unjust judge is God. Of all the things to describe himself as, as an unjust judge, <laughs> Jesus could have picked a better parable. But they believe that this has got a lot of people. It's not. The unjust judge is not God, and, and you do not have to bombard heaven with quantity of prayer to get him to hear you. In one place, Jesus said, don't pray like the heathen, because they think they'll be heard for their much speaking. Don't give vain, repeti vain repetitions, all right? Always praying, always throwing prayers up, always throwing pr prayers up. Um, what is that culture? I believe it's Buddhism. That's just, that is a trap of the devil. I'm sorry. It is. I don't, I, I'm, we live in this age where everything's got to be on the same terms. It's not. Just throwing prayers up there all your life, hoping you'll come back in a better form than you were. Just always praying, always praying, always praying, hoping you did enough. That's the devil. That's the devil. And, and, and that mentality has crept into the church like, well, if we could just get people to pray, you need to know God. Because if you knew God, you could ask and he would answer. That's what the scriptures say. If you're, it's, Jesus says, if you, if, oh, what did I say? If, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will and it'll be done. Easy peasy, <laughs> right? It, Faith in who he is, trust in who he is, is what's required. My kids can come and ask me for pretty much every, anything, and they do for almost anything. And it's not like, well, I asked for this today, I don't want to ask for it again. They ask all the time. They ask without inhibition. They're incessant. <laughs> they ask, ask, ask. <laughs> Caitlin, she knows she's cute, she does. Don't you give her anything. It's not good. <laughs> and she'll come to me and she'll, she'll ask, can I, can I have a pop? That's what, we call, well, that's what we call a sucker, you know. 
can I have a pop? So I give her one, you know. I made it to 10 in the morning. It's, it's late enough. You can have pop. <laughs> she finishes it in five minutes, comes back. She says, can I have a pop? I said, you just had a pop. She goes, can I have a treat? <laughs> I said, no, can't have a treat. 30 seconds, like, can I have a treat? <laughs> so I'll get, we have this bag of chocolate chips. I'll get like five or six chocolate chips. I said, Here, shh, don't tell your brothers. <laughs> I don't want to have to, don't want to have to make this even. It's too much for shh. She finishes those, comes back later. Can I have a pop? <laughs> no, you can't have a pop. And you know what she does? Well, she just screams her little help. You think, like all the other boys, I could satisfy them. It's like, no, you had a pop today. You don't get any more. And she just, no, you don't like me. <laughs> Come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time. And now, that's not help, but you get the picture, right? You have an inroad with your dad. You do. You're his kids. He loves you. And whenever you come to him, come. part of it is we don't think we're worth it. You are. Get over yourself. The other part of it is you don't, you don't let him in enough on your life to establish trust that you can build on. Because really, it's not about what's possible. Once you start to trust him, I, don't, I believe this. This is what the Holy Ghost is sharing with me. He says, it's all going to open up at once once you get to trust me. Because the problem is, it's not about, oh, I've never done that before. It's that you don't trust what I'm telling you. If you could trust what I was telling you, you would have no problem doing X thing, Y thing, Z thing. It doesn't matter. Tomorrow, I'll tell you how to, I'll give you an idea to fund the gospel. I'll give you an idea to, to do this or do that. The next day, we'll do something else. The next day, we'll walk on water. The next day, that's what Jesus did, right? He says, well, we're gonna pay the taxes this way today. Oh, we're gonna need this, go do that way. All he did was hear and trust, hear and trust, hear and trust, and he walked that out all his life. And, it's, and it was so prolific. John said, he says, we followed him for three and a half years, but we don't have enough paper to write everything down. What does that tell me? It tells me every single day he was just doing supernatural stuff that's not recorded. He, we, he says, we wrote the things we wrote so that you'd believe, and that's why they're written, but we didn't write everything down. We couldn't. Because he was always hearing, trusting, and obeying all the time. Everything that was impossible, he'd just kick it down. You don't have to have... A, Here's the anointing you need. The anointing you need is trust in the Holy Ghost. That's the anointing that I want. Th that trust is imparted and I can step out and do whatever it is he's telling me to do that day. And you see the fruit of it. And it, once that opens up in your heart and you begin to trust him, my kids, they come ask me for a pop. The next day they want a bike. The next day they want this. The next day they want that. And, and I am willing to work with them where they're at. And God's willing to work with you. Amen. There's a teachability and a humble, humbleness of spirit that he's wanting to birth in us and it's going to bring a reality of who he is because that's really where we need to trust him. <clears throat> now in this parable, men always have to pray and not faint. And he, he, he ends the parable by asking this question, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Let's break this down. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. So there's an injustice going on. Everybody say injustice. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. See, you don't have to wear down God. He even says later on in verse 7, I tell you that God will avenge them speedily. Everybody say speedily. It doesn't take time with God. He's already given you the answer in Christ. So who is this person that won't be bothered? <laughs> who is this person that has to be worn down to hear you? 
If it's about faith and if it's about trust and if it's about prayer and it's not about not fainting, it's something on the inside. Everybody say on the inside. See, Paul said it this way. He says, we're, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove. Everybody say prove. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? If you have to be renewed and transformed in your thinking to prove the will of God, that means you play a part in the will of God coming to pass. And if you play a part in the will of God coming to pass, then there's something you need to do to change. And this parable is about not fainting in that process, about not aborting the picture or the vision that God has given you, about not jerking up the roots of the plants of the word of God that are planted in your heart until you... That's how the devil comes and steals the word. The seed has been sown. You tend it for a while, but he gets you to jerk it up before the fruit comes. He doesn't want the fruit because the fruit is seen. The, the root is not. See, the word is unseen. When it comes to your heart, it's supposed to be rooted in you and it's supposed to produce a fruit and the fruit is for your benefit and ultimately it's for everybody else's benefit. See, the root of healing is in the word. It's truth and you know it. But he doesn't want the fruit of it. He doesn't want people seeing the fruit of that word. He wants to steal it. So he uses this soul. It's the soul that's on the inside of you that has to be lovingly hammered into submission. (laughs) There is a part of you that doesn't agree with God. And the sooner you recognize it, the sooner you can get to attacking those things that stand in your and God's way. This unjust judge is not the father's arm you're trying to twist. It's your own. It's about you fainting, not him. (laughs) And see, this picture is, who who are we trying to weary? This widow is kind of like, I feel like it's a picture of the spirit on the inside of you saying, avenge me of my adversary. (laughs) Because the spirit doesn't get to walk around in that sense. It's the body that does. But on the inside of you, there is a spirit that is living and moving and breathing and has the life of Christ and says, this is not just in our life. Avenge me. Avenge me. And it'll say, avenge me about sin. It'll tell me, it'll say, avenge me about unrighteousness. It'll say, avenge me about sickness. It'll say, avenge me about poverty. Because the Spirit of God doesn't stand for any of those things. And it'll knock on the door of your soul saying, this is your conscience, obey me. This is, and, and this is who the Holy Ghost speaks to. He speaks to this widow saying, avenge me of my adversary. Avenge me, avenge me, avenge me. And eventually your soul just, all right, fine, you win. <laughs> and when that soul finally submits to your case, see, what does a judge do? He judges between evidence you got the plaintiff, okay, and you got the defendant. You have to judge between two sets of evidence who's right and wrong. Is it this one that's right or is it this one that's right? And the judge is supposed to be the one rendering the verdict about what is truth in your life. And on the inside of you, the soul needs to be transformed and renewed in the mind to believe what is God's word so that it's always rendering verdicts in favor of the truth, not in favor of what you see. That is what is supposed to be happening on the inside of your heart. And you can see a perfect picture of that with Peter, that when he stepped out on the boat, his soul for a time was rendering a verdict. God's word is truth. (laughs) But when the wind and the waves started to bring their evidence... It was like, mm, that's truth. And he fell. Do you see that picture? There is a reality that he's wanting to establish that is so grounded and set on the inside of you that it doesn't matter what you face. Anybody ever been in a hospital with somebody that's on their deathbed? I have. Pray for me. All of a sudden, you get a litmus test on where your face at. Because you've got to see it. And you've got to look at it. How much do you trust? See, we can, we can talk about it, but when the rubber meets the road, where are we at? Because I guarantee you, it's not a problem for God. It's not. But he's wanting to put that reality on the inside of us. Well, that's the problem. We got 10 minutes and we'll talk about the answer. Amen.
Or we can cut it off so y'all come back next week. <laughs> see. Everybody understand the problem? Let's see. The word gives us an answer too. Amen. Let's go to. Hmm. Yeah, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to just do a little bit of reading here. We'll start in verse 8. That new nature that's on the inside of you, it's there for the Holy Ghost to bring correction about sin, but also about everything that's not God's will. Everything, everybody say everything. It doesn't care what it is, it'll tell you. And there are things that it will expose in your life that it's for your benefit, it's for your correction. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just following him, okay? We're going we're gonna to read this, but I just want to give you a simple example. One, of the, one time I, I, I got into a season where I was confessing, and that's one of the tools we preach here is confession. Amen? And I was confessing, I'm going to live to be 100. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> now, I'm just being facetious, but you know what I mean. I'm going to live forever. God, you know, God has promised me long life. I've, you know, I, I have, I'm going to live that out. I'm going, to ha- I'm going to be here a long time, so just get used to me, devil. You know? <laughs> I'm going to be here. And uh, so I, I'd start confessing. And I, I believe that, for the most part, that's God's will. I think that there are people that have a, a path where God, he doesn't tell them, he asks them, would you be willing to go talk to a person or talk to a group of people. And it may end in martyrdom, but you, you value their lives above yours at that point. And he asks, he doesn't tell, all right? But you follow too if you're this, this disciple. That's what discipline follower means. But anyway, I, in, apart from that, in most cases, I, God is wanting you to live a long life, all right? And so I was confessing that, and I was saying, I'm gonna live forever. <laughs> I'm going to live to be over 100 years old. I have, you know, and some of the verses that go along with that. And so I'd say that, say that, say that. I said that for about a week. And then one day, <laughs> you know, he has a way of bringing the word back around and he'll flip the mirror in front of your face. And I heard those verses as I was opening the cupboard door. <laughs> and I was reaching, and I'd never, you tell me it's not the Holy Ghost. It is, it is. Because I never had this problem before. <laughs> I used to go in there and get whatever I wanted and <laughs> make sure Nat didn't see me and I was fine, you know. <laughs> All right. The other day she said, what was it you said to me the other day? She says, I can always tell when you're doing something you're not supposed to because you're cuddled over in the corner with popping chocolate chips or something. <laughs> I didn't know she knew that. <laughs> so now I got to, <laughs> Anyway. But it wasn't her this time. It was the Holy Ghost. And I, I hope she, now this, was, this is not her fault, but I'm just, just the way it was, she got me. She got me a giant Hershey kiss. It was about this big, about as big as your head, you know. It was Valentine's Day, thank you. I, I think it was, it's great. You just, that's not her fault. It's just you shouldn't eat it all in two days. That's not a good plan. <laughs> and I was well on pace to do that. <laughs> all right. And so I had this giant brick of a Hershey kiss in <laughs> that had been gnawed all the way around, you know. And uh, I was going back for the, f- for the fourth or fifth trip, whatever it was. And, and I opened that and I heard those verses and I heard a couple other things. Uh, <laughs> one of the things he told me, he says, you can get drunk on more things than just alcohol, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> Never thought of it that way. <laughs> See, in, in, in America, it's a cultural sin, you know, to some degree. Oh, you're, you're a drunkard. Well, you're addicted to alcohol, addicted to sugar. Still a problem. Amen. 
and uh, open up that cupboard door and confess I'm going to live to be 100. And I'd hear the Holy Ghost say, not eating like that, you're not. <laughs> Take it or leave it, there's the mirror. <laughs> Change or die, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> now, God loves you, he'll walk with you. But there's whole areas of our life where the flesh reigns, where we, our own will reigns, that he walks with us where we walk with him. And, and whatever part we don't walk with him, it, it, cut, it may cut us short. Or it may rob us of part of our, uh, our, um, our fruit. It's 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's not 100 fold all around. Amen. That's true. Some people don't even get to 30. That's what Jesus said. See, what is it that steals that? And Jesus said it this way. He says, if your eye offend, you pluck it out. If your hand offend, you cut it off. Okay? See, the truth is you could pluck your eye out and you'd still lust. You can pluck them both out and still be in lust. What he was saying is there, you need to be really aggressive. You need to be so aggressive towards the flesh. You need to have a hate for it. That it, you know it's what's killing you. See, and we, we pet it like it's our friend in some of these instances, but it'll kill you if you let your flesh run you. If you let the flesh run your health, it'll kill you. I'm just saying. That's what he's telling me anyway. All right. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost has no borders, and when he starts to bring correction, he'll start to, and if you listen to him and follow him, he'll bring good results in that, in that area of your life. But there's so many men of God you can look at where they were able to walk with God in some things and they're just amazing, but you wonder why in the end of their life they just got way off track because something else had a hold of them too. The Holy Ghost is there to lead you and guide you into all. Everybody say all. All truth. And you need all truth because if you have 50%, the other half is what's going to kill you. You do. You need it all. <clears throat> How do we make this a reality in our life? Ephesians 5, everybody there? I gave you plenty of time. <laughs> Ephesians 5, we're going to do some reading. Hmm. We'll start here in verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, speaking about the time before you were born again. You were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship. Everybody say no fellowship. No. With the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Well, it's grace. He just loves me. Well, okay, but <laughs> you're not going to walk in very much of him. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. <laughs> I just had a picture of me cowering in the corner <laughs> with my chocolate. <laughs> Didn't want to be seen. <laughs> That's the flesh. You know that? That's the flesh in everyone. Don't, don't look at me. <laughs> all things are reproved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. <laughs> oh, Pastor Dave in Tulsa, you used to say, he says, People spend some time praying in the Holy Ghost and then they get a good look at themselves and they say, I never used to be this bad before I started praying. <laughs> no, you were always that bad. You just now got a good look at yourself. <laughs> but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, awake. Everybody say awake. That's what he's gonna do with us. Awake, thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. Not talking about physical, we're talking about spiritual here. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, okay? Carefully, purposefully. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I don't like it when I have to pray if it be thy will. Now, there are cases I do because I just don't know, all right? But he, the ultimate goal is to know his will. That's what he wants, right? How are you going to get his will accomplished in the earth, cooperating with him if you don't know it? I'm just, 
I'm just saying, you know, you need to know his will. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, but be filled. Everybody say filled. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So here's a picture he's giving each and every one of us. He's saying, you know people that drink too much. What happens to them? When they become intoxicated with alcohol, they don't perceive reality correctly. Am I right? They should not be operating a car. They should not be picking fights. (laughs) They should not be uh, speaking, (laughs) period. Because their senses are drunk on that substance. This is the picture. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. But then he flips it and says, but be drunk in the spirit. That's what he's saying here. Don't be drunk with wine as an excess. He says, but you can be filled with the spirit. He's saying, why, why is he using this example? He says, don't be drunk like that. Someone that is inebriated or full of alcohol, they don't perceive reality correctly. But see, somebody that is drunk in the spirit, they don't let this reality dictate to them what is truth. Did you catch that? If you are drunk in the spirit, the reality of heaven is more alive on the inside of you than the chair you're sitting in, the desk I'm at, and any kind of sickness or disease that shows up in front of your face. And you can be so drunk in the spirit that you walk in, and I don't mean just... I, I believe there's real moves of God that people are falling out and, and doing all those things. I don't mean, you know, you look like a loosey goose rolling on the floor, hanging on the chandelier. You just be acting crazy. I mean that in your heart and in your mind, you are drunk on the reality that God is your provider, your healer, and he is able to be trusted with everything. And all things are possible because I believe in him. That's what drunk in the spirit looks like. And you see this with Jesus. We don't have food here we we can't get across the the lake here she's been dead here he's been dead four days it doesn't matter when you know him it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it is <clears throat> be not drunk with wine where's an excess but be filled with the spirit how do you get filled how do you get drunk on Look at this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who does it say you're speaking to? Who are we talking to here? We're talking to that judge on the inside that doesn't believe. Speaking to yourself. God is not for God's, it's not for God. And Jesus said in one place, don't be like the heathen because they think they'll be heard for their vain repetition. Why is it vain? Because God doesn't need bombarding with prayer. What the repetition, what the repetition, what the repetition needs, needs to be aimed at is that judge. Avenge me of my adversary. Avenge me of my adversary. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. I praise you and I worship you that you're my healer. I praise you and I worship you that you're my healer. And you continue to bring evidence, evidence, and evidence in confession, in worship, in prayer, in fasting. You continue to bring evidence until that soul finally renders a verdict and says, I'm listening to this guy and I'm not listening to that guy. And your soul is so inundated, so drunk with the reality of the truth that God has given you, you're going to believe it and not what you see. And you will truly be led by faith, not by sight. Amen? Wasn't it um, David that says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He was telling his own soul, bless the Lord. And there have been times, some of, some of my greatest testimonies have been times where everything looked bad and in the middle of that, 
Thank you, God, for who you are. I don't care what I see. I care who you are. And even though I see, what I see seems real, I know that your truth is eternal and can change it. And he will. Amen. But we're called to pray and not to faint. Amen. This is the beginning. I think we're going to talk more about these things because that is a tool to change your perception and how you see and establish. It's not God's job. It's our job to establish that reality in our heart. That's our job. So let's do it. Amen. I mean, why wouldn't you want to when, when all of the inheritance that you have here is the healing and the provision, everything God has given you? What amazing thing to know what's on the other side of the transformation of your soul. Amen? I don't got anything else to do, do you? <laughs> Nothing else is more important than that. Amen. All right. Well, Father, thank you for establishing your word in us. I ask that you would take this message and anything that was either... I thank you that you take everything that was said and be the tutor for every person here that they can see in this season of their life how to apply what was shared. That it not remain a message that we sat through, but that it would take root, that it would stand up in our hearts and our minds and we would begin to walk out and walk into more of who you are Thank you for trust abounding in us more and more. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, you are dismissed. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. And we will see you next week. God bless.